What's up, everyone? It's your host, Jonah. Welcome to the Blue Collar Enlightenment Show, where we learn new things every episode through conversations with guests from all around the globe. So hit that sub button so you can keep up with the journey. Today, we have Jeff Zygman, the business engineer. Jeff has over 30,000 hours of software development and business operation. He also works with businesses to turn more of a profit by automating operations. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us, Jeff. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Good. Awesome. Uh, tell us about yourself. All right. Uh, so married, two little kids. I've uh, been <clears throat> in the tech world for about 10 years with an engineering background, uh, engineering educational background. Before that, I've been in the tech startup realm about 10 years. I've uh, started off as a business analyst and then uh, I've been a business analyst for 10 years and I've been a CTO for about eight years. Um, I've designed, led, built, depending on the circumstances, a few hundred software systems and modules um, across a couple of dozen um, industry uh, domains, businesses, if you will, or projects, um, including a few multi-million dollar enterprise software, uh, pretty extensively done on most or if not all parts of the software cycle. And uh, I also have uh, two tech companies currently, and I do some, uh, I, I do consulting with businesses and startups now, depending on, depending on what the, the needs are with uh, profitable businesses. I help to uh, optimize their businesses to make them run more profitably with less resources. And on the startup side, it's just, uh, there's a lot of problems that startups <laughs> have, have. So there's a laundry list of things there. Yeah, there's always a uh, learning curve when you're trying to start up a business. Huh? Yeah. And the learning curve is even higher when it's uh, software or when it's tech. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit about Skills Builder? Um, yeah. So <clears throat> Skill Builder is a, uh, call it a remote employee training platform. I started it at the beginning of COVID. I actually, um, I've been doing martial arts for about 20 years also, and I took the principles I learned from martial arts about how people learn and absorb skills, and I basically built a software learning platform around that to teach process-oriented skills. Um, <clears throat> the majority of people have not, you know, it, it takes, you have to, in order to learn, you, you need to learn how to learn. Like, if, and if you haven't learned how to learn things, it's going to be... It, it's going to be hard to pick up new things. That's why the majority of people take a long time learning new things. And it's very hard. It's because they have not learned how to learn. I learned how to learn both from engineering and also from martial arts where, um, where over time, over years, you learned how to learn. So I created, I took the principles I knew were needed for quick learning and I built them into a software platform because it's really the only way to do it. You can't you can't do it through long form video like most online courses are, and you can't do it through PowerPoint. Neither of those are effective for really training a skill effectively and quickly. So <clears throat> I built a software platform that, that does it. I've had I have like more than fifty video testimonials from people now about how how effective it is. People have said it's like six to twelve months of learning condensed into two hours. 
Um, and yeah, the main thing I'm, I'm promoting at the moment is uh, an active shooter preparation training that I have on that right now, given the craziness of what's happening right now. What type of active shooter drills do you uh, train for? So it's less about drills specifically as much as I partnered with a um, former Department of Homeland Security uh, trainer in active shooter training. Who He, he had trained over 5,000 people on uh, sort of the run hide, find, fi- run, hide, fight principle. But, you know, when people are... When people are learning anything, they don't typically think through things well enough for it to be beneficial enough for them. So what this course does, what this training does, if you, let's say you have a school. So I, have a, I had a school purchased um, a couple months back. They rolled it out to all of their faculty, like 71 people. And what it does is it gives a methodical approach of how to think through and prepare in advance for such an event and then in the moment if the if that were to happen how to adjust your thinking patterns based on the circumstances so it really gives each individual person the instructions a step-by-step to follow to do advanced preparation as well as adjustments in if a shooter were to arrive obviously nothing is perfect or whatever and it's still incredibly dangerous but that that's the idea Boy, that's a scary thought. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, in today's world, I guess, uh, with all these mass shootings, I mean, I always hate getting into that, but... It's crazy. Yeah, Dude, it's... Uh, it's crazy. I don't know what's happening. It's... It's, it's scary. Um, yeah. So what type of things do you teach within that program? Well, so how to determine what to do step-by-step, step, what to avoid doing, how to find sheltering options, how to establish and do rally points, and then how to get people to think through how they would escape based on methodologies that make sense and avoiding things that don't make sense, essentially. Uh, so it, it takes a sort of a systematic approach to it while giving the kind of at each step, the to do's and with explanations of why those things are the right things to do and the mistake, common mistakes people make to avoid and why those are mistakes and the ramifications of those. Do you think a big one would be staying calm, making sure you're in the right mind and not freaking out? Because I think that's, that's something that's, uh, that's big on, the decision-making side, because when you're in frantic, your mind's going, you can't make the right decision. You, you, you know, you can, you, you can, you can practice what you're going to take, take shooter situation out of the, cause I haven't been in a shooter situation, but I've been doing martial arts a long time. Right. And you, I can't remember who it was, who uh, said it, but you can have the best plan in the world, but as soon as you get hit, the plan goes out the window. So if you're taking them from a martial arts standpoint, okay, been hit in the, I've, I've been hit in the face man, like hundreds, thousands of times, right? And the way you, um, the way you get accustomed to dealing with things is to practice 
doing it and do repetition and repetition, repetition. And then, uh, the, like the, when you're first, when you first have somebody's fist coming at your face, you're going to be panicked. Doesn't matter. Uh, doesn't matter what you do, but after you've practiced it a lot, you're, um, you're going to be less panicked. Now, obviously, you're not putting yourself in an active shooter situation to um, as practice. But when you like, if you, you're if the goal is to think through what to do, and you think through based on principles that make sense in advance, rather than just waiting until the moment happens, and based on a conversation, a discussion that a police officer came and lectured everyone on once six months ago but if you you're not going to remember anything that happened from there but if you've actually gone through the exercises of thinking thing through things thoroughly in advance and you repeat that and you plan then doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect but that means you're going to have gone through a lot of things in your mind beforehand and really done the exercises of putting that your brain muscle into work beforehand you know what i mean I'm, again i'm not i'm not saying that this is perfect by any stretch but but it's far better to do that uh, than it is to just not do anything and then be in complete panic mode with no plan whatsoever right right and uh like we were saying it's a scary thought that we even have to uh think about that putting our kids in that situation yeah and uh so are they tr- are they help are they passing this down to the kids and doing dri- uh, drills within the schools? So the the school that purchased uh, a little while ago, what they did, they're, they're not they they didn't take the kids through this, but I believe the kid. The, I know that um, the vice principal and each of the teachers got to think through it within the context of their own classroom, and a number of them rearranged their classroom, and then they put it in a plans of what to do based on what they learn so it actually made them go through that thinking process to plan to plan within the context of their own class i don't know specifically what they did with their students afterwards so i, I don't have an answer to that one all right um, well we can uh, we can go to a lighter subject i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> So what got you, what, what fascinates you so much about software development and business um, analysis? Um, <clears throat> I guess like the answer the software one first. You know, software is the only thing where if you know what you're doing, you can solve problems very effectively. Real, real problems can be solved very effectively with software. And it's the only way that you can create something that can scale infinitely to reach millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people or what have you. There's no, there's no product to ship. There's no manufacturing limitations or whatever. And it's extremely fast to iterate if you know what you're doing. So if you, if you, if you know how to make it, you know how to design it, you know how to build it and test it and so on, then you can solve problems very fast and the scale of it is, is huge. Uh, business analysis, um, business analysis for those who don't know is the first time, like imagine you're building a house, okay? And you're not gonna start to try to build a house. Well, equate building the house to building software, okay? and equate um, the construction worker to a coder, 
Okay. Code people, when they're thinking software, they usually think software is, um, is just coding, like tell developer what you want. And then they start coding, uh, Coding is one of about 10 different technical disciplines required to build software properly. And it's roughly, sequentially, it's roughly the seventh in order, which means there's about six things that come before that. And if you don't do those right, then, but, and you just start coding, you're missing everything else that needs to come before that, which is why so much software projects and businesses fail, right? It's like, imagine you're going to start building a house and you have no blueprint. You just tell the construction worker, oh, I want a house and you try to describe it verbally or whatever, instead of giving a blueprint, what are the chances that it's going to go well? Pretty slim. Not very. Right. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, have, I personally haven't built a house, but it, uh, I use that as an analogy so that people can understand it better. It, so the business analysis is like, imagine you were trying to ask a bunch of questions about what they want the house to look like how many bathrooms should it have what should the kitchen be placed how big should the kitchen be how, what, what where things should be positioned in the kitchen where do you want where do you want this where do you want that so there's like hundreds of, depending on the project thousands of questions that need to be asked to uh, do the analysis analysis properly and then after you've asked enough questions to pinpoint like all the ins and outs of how it should work then you create specifications, which is like a blueprint for what to build. So the reason I love that is because you can't do software properly without that. You do, you do that well, and you can produce a very on-point thing, and you do it wrong, and people waste half a million dollars and have an unreleasable product. Mm. So you said there's 10 steps within software development? Uh, roughly 10 different, I'd actually say depending, it could be more, but roughly 10 different disciplines, technical different disciplines required to do software properly. Yeah. Okay. So what type or how many different types of software developers are there? That depends on how you define that. So, uh, software developers would typically take up one, let's say one or two, depending of those 10 steps. Okay. 10, ten so di disciplines. There's yeah. a little bit of different, different jobs yeah. for different yeah. parts. You want me to tell you, I, I, I don't know your, I, I don't know your, your listener base. You want me to tell you what like the 10 steps are that I could put it to put it in context. Oh Yeah. Okay. I love the long answers. I love the technical okay. stuff. <laughs> okay, cool. So <clears throat> first you need to gather the requirements. Then you need to organize that information, which in and of itself is hard. You, then you need to create use cases. You need to create mock-ups. Then, so that, that's kind of the, the, the business side of it. And mock-ups typically comprise UI, which is kind of graphically how it looks, and then UX, which would be user experience, would be, which would be, let's say, optimizing for intuitiveness. Okay? People often confuse UI and UX, though usually it's two different people that have two different expertise. So I've done UX a lot. I've made some very user-friendly software that is intuitive, that people can just figure out. 
Um, but I, my expertise on the graphic design is like, I would just hire someone to do that because it's not my, it's not my forte. Um, people often confuse that. Uh, you, there are some people who can do both well, the, like, but it's not often, especially for complicated systems. Okay. So we have like five different technical disciplines that we just covered. Then you typically would want a tech lead or a CTO who can understand business, but also understand the technical side, who can sort of help to translate that over to the technical side. So then the technical side would be, so you need the CTO leadership direction, which would be another one. You need database architecture design. You need backend programming uh, implementation, uh, backend logic, that's the more complicated part of uh, development. That's what typically developers, a lot of backend developers would do. Then there's front-end development. Uh, development. Sometimes you can have a full-stack developer. It's called a full-stack developer, which is a developer that does front-end and back-end. So the developers, would, when people think coders and they think that's the only part of the process, they typically, in most cases, don't do any of the previous stuff I just described well, in most cases, okay? What they do is many of them will do either, probably the backend coding, the, the, the backend um, logic design, and maybe database structure. Some, some like are okay, and others are very good at that. So those parts, and maybe a front-end front end development. So that's the, the <clears throat> development side. Then the coding. Coding itself is really like, the easiest part of the entire software process, and it's, it's it's and it's actually incidentally the least important of the entire thing. But most non-technical people think it's the only part. So imagine how badly things can go when you think that that the least important part of the entire process is the only part of the process. Things go very badly, right? So after that, you have quality assurance and testing, and a lot of people also have. Uh, expect their developers to be good at that but it's two completely different skill sets then you have project management and um yeah i would say that's that's a good overview of roughly 10 disciplines needed to do uh software properly wow yeah that's quite a bit so it's pretty much like building a building like you said you gotta go through every step in some ways it's so yes and in some ways it's more complicated than building a building I, I I can't I can't say that with definitive. I've never built a building. Okay, I built software, so, and I. Uh, but what I what I do know is that the difference is that software is much more in concrete. You can't see it, you can't smell it, you can't feel it, and if you're non-technical, you can't visualize any of it, which means that you're trying to build something that you can't actually understand what is being done as opposed to a building, which you can kind of understand, even if you don't know all the specifics. So that's why people, I've seen people dump half a million dollars, million dollars, $3 million. Former employer from the beginning, when I was at like the beginning of COVID, put $30 million into a warehouse management app that was done, basically hired me to try to build a better one from scratch after he spent about $30 million producing something that had to be scrapped. Man. Yeah. I know in the last couple of months, I've spoken to, <clears throat> spoken to people who have spent $350,000 and still don't have a proper working product. 
I just built an MVP, like a working version of something where uh, the person I'm working with there, the company I'm working with spent, um, knows someone who tried to build something similar and spent half a million dollars two times trying to build something similar unsuccessfully. Oof. So obviously there has to be testing within every process. 100%. Right? Yeah. So say sure. a coder's going through and putting all his code in and uh, just one simple task that he had to do. How much testing goes into that, that one code that he wrote? It's there's actually a lot, there's actually a fair amount of there's a, gr- a fair amount of gray area and nuance to that. So <clears throat> the developer themselves, in my opinion, should needs to test enough so that it's workable for the per, for the tester. Then the tester really depends on what it is. Some things can take a minute or two to test other things can take hours depending on how much setup is involved and what the process is. So it, it really depends. It depends on the skill level of the person testing because like I've been testing for 15 years. So like I am pretty decent at pinpointing things and, and being able to tell where there's probably going to be a bug and how to set things up for to test properly. So there, there's a lot of nuance to that answer it could be quick could be more time consuming um but it it um you know when i learned how to i had an internship a software testing internship um at the end of my engineering degree it was uh 15 years ago so every single day for eight months i would go to a test protocol that was made by the senior testers and i would go through step by step by step by step by step executing each step one after another after another every day day in day out day in. train my mind to think in a methodical way right and then after a month or two or three or whatever i started creating my own test protocol so then i had to go through and think up this methodical way of what should be tested step by step by step by step by step right you do that it trains your brain how to think that way like with any skill set right um but developers typically don't go through that right so if you're trying anyone who's listening to this and is thinking about hiring a developer and then thinking that that developer is going to just build a whole software and test it and bug free uh they should know that that is not typically a reasonable expectation and that they're probably probably going to end up dumping a lot of time and money into something without getting the results they want. If that's the expectation that they have. Yeah. There's probably gotta be a lot of patience within it. Yeah. Not a lot of hurry, hurry, hurry. So, uh, what's the biggest mishap that you've caught in your career? Um, my biggest mistake has been, um, when you're able to build things, quickly and easily there it it breeds a tendency to build things before checking if there's a need and that's a bad thing to do it's like oh there might be a need for this oh i could build this thing in a week that might normally take three or six months to do that might someone might normally have to invest 50 or 100,000 or 150,000 dollars to do and i can build it for free in a week because of what i'm doing it i don't have to pay anyone else or whatever but if you build something and then no one cares, no one needs it, and you haven't validated it by checking with the market and confirming that there are customers who are willing to pay for it, then 
even if I was able to build it myself in a week, that's that I just wasted a week of my time because I didn't validate that there's a need, right? It's so much more important for people who are non-technical to validate the need before trying to build it because otherwise you're out 50 or 100,000, $150,000. But that's one of the biggest mistakes I've made is, is doing that. I've done that a few times just because, you know, it's, it's just like, oh, it's going to be so easy for me to build this because I've done it so many times. I'll just build it. And then it's, it's just a waste of time in, in the end without validating first. Um, the biggest mistake that I have seen, see it all the time. And it's the biggest problem in all of software is the requirements gathering, the business analysis. It's the part it, people skip it all the time. They don't even know it's a thing to do in software. They skip it. It's done badly. Um, it's very hard to do it properly. Um, and when you skip that, it creates a ripple effect through the whole thing. And things take six months to get done that should get done in two months. And then after six months, you find out that, oh, we built a whole bunch of the wrong stuff. And then they have to spend another three months or four months breaking things down and trying to rebuild it only to find out, oh, crap, this, the same thing happened and have to do it again. And you go through the multiple iterations like this because you never did it right. The first, you never got a, the right picture at the beginning. Yeah, you don't want to give the client the wrong product. Exactly. Yeah. That happens all the time, all, all the time. Oh man. So what, what's one of the most uh, complex jobs that you've taken on? Complex. That's, um, you know, everything's relative, right? So things that I, things that are, I'm doing, I did something right now that took me three weeks that a company failed two times spending half a million dollars on, and it took me three weeks to do it and get it right, spending no money myself right now. But if it was 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So something that is relatively easy for me now would have been really complex before. So everything is everything is relative. So it's hard to answer that just because I, the only things that like most software to me now is, is easy to do. Like I haven't done blockchain and I haven't done AI, but other than that, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying this in like an arrogant way. It's just like every, the more I have like done more than 30,000 hours of software in the last 10 years. Right. So it's like, take a brain surgeon who's trying to do a brain surgery. It's not an easy thing to do, but if they've done it 30,000 times or whatever, then there's a good chance that it's not necessary, like th that they're accustomed to it. So it's far easier for them at that point than it would have been when they were two brain surgeries in. Right. All right. So it's just more of a, you're kind of in a, a flow because you've been doing it so long. Yeah, a lot of the time, like, uh, I don't, I don't, like, if I'm gathering requirements and asking questions, like, how should this feature work? And what about this? And how should that work? That the kind of thing where I used to have to concentrate a lot to do that, the questions just come to mind now. And I'm like, oh, and this, and this, and this case, and that case, and what about this? And then this, like, I don't even have to think about it too much. And it just, the questions just keep popping into mind to, to scope out a project. So... That happens when you do anything a lot, right? 
That's correct. And so what do you see within your future of your company? <clears throat> so I have a, well, I have, so I have, a, I have a few tech companies. I have that one that I just built and I have skill builder on top of that as well. And um, I was on the lookout for um, things that can problems that can be solved through software. Um, so, uh, and I, at the same time, I'm trying to build things that can grow at scale exponentially, right? So I think that skill build. I, I think on the skill builder side, if you take the active shooters and uh, training course, um, there's over 130,000 schools across. Aside from if you if we ignore businesses, there's over 100 who who need it also. If we, there's over 130,000 schools across the U.S., they all technically need that right and it can actually potentially even save lives if they if, if they do it so um that's one objective on that end and this other one that i just built is another one going and i'm sure that others will come on but my, my goal is to build is to create scalable tech businesses that solve problems uh, being a business analysis, that kind of goes hand in hand with your software development, correct? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, because you're automating certain things within the business to help optimize. Yeah. So automation, in a sense, is a bit of a different thing. So you have custom software development, which is what we just spent a bunch of time discussing where you're building a software product. Okay. Then what is more often or more likely the case, like in most cases, <clears throat> if you're dealing with a, an established existing business, so let's say you take any business, brick and mortar business, wh- whatever that is um, that is not a software business, they have and uh, they have a certain set of their own own internal operations that are getting done by a bunch of employees every day, right? And there are bottlenecks, there are um, man tasks being done manually there's human error happening there's there, there's a lot of things that are not optimized to run efficiently so automation is where you take a process of uh, tasks like let's say that there's there's a task that somebody's doing that is a very repetitive task that doesn't necessarily require a human brain to do and you use automation tools like Zapier for examples is one of them from the most commonly known one and you put in place these workflows these automations that can basically do that task potentially tens of thousands of times a day and once it's implemented and done properly and tested then it can just run on its own in the background thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of times a day without any mistakes and um, so that, that that's that's how businesses can become much more profitable much more quickly with less resources now how much maintenance comes with the automation techniques typically not much like once it's put in place you're you're there's not much maintenance so the the bulk of the work cost expertise typically is to actually gather the requirements design what needs to be done and then use then implementing it with automation tool an automation tool or a series of automation tools being connected together with each other once that's done assuming that it's done well which it may not be but assuming that it's 
done well, then it could potentially be no maintenance. So like my client who's uh, one of my clients is the uh, one of the largest providers of self-storage real estate in Canada here. And there was one part of his, his, his business where they were man, they were using, they're using a system that collects Google reviews from tenants that move in. Okay. So he had to, one of his senior people had to upload a spreadsheet every month of people moving in. So created an automated system there that every day, seven days after move in, it will automatically shoot 15 up to 15 people per day, every single day to request a review just after they've moved in when it's fresh in their mind. And it's been running uh, over a year now, no maintenance required, and it just runs, 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 runs perfectly every day. That's amazing. It's got to be easier for smaller businesses to grow this way. Um, it would. Like right now, I have so much stuff in my own stuff with what I'm doing that it, right now it's like I have, I don't know, four to seven full time employees working perfectly all the time, never making any mistakes never sick um, for me. Like I, I, I have, I'm looking for salespeople from the active shooter uh, thing to go out to schools and, and uh, sell it, market it and so on. And I'm getting like seven, between seven and 20 applications on Indeed per day. And there'd be no way for me to manage that myself, right? So I put it in place, a set of automated processes, systems and processes that basically takes them in, records each one of them for me so i don't have to do anything it will reply to them like it's me sending them an email like so that they'll feel personalized same day so that they feel like they're getting a response and it will look like it's coming from me and then it has them go through a few steps so that by the time they actually get on a zoom call with me i've actually filtered out the people who are for sure not a good fit and i'm spending my time with the people who are potentially a good fit so stuff like this it uh, it would be impossible for me to manage that kind of scale if I didn't put process, process, proper processes and automation in place to do that for me. I tell you what, I need to give you my boss's phone number because we get some, <laughs> we get some, uh, we get some good ones rolling through. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> no, no, I wish we could uh, weed them out as we went. Someone, uh, when I told uh, another guy, when I told him about that thing that I put in place. Uh, he, he recently hired me to put in place a similar uh, system for him because he's trying to get uh, a bunch of stuff going in the exact same capacity there. And it, um, um, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to do that for him as well. It's uh, yeah. I, I, instead of, instead of having to meet with a hundred people a week, I'm maybe meeting with, three or four who pass those steps in the process there. How much work did it go, did it go into developing that bit of software? So that, that was not uh, so that was not a custom software. That was me designing, using leveraging in, uh, automation tools, not Zapier, but another one like it um, to, uh, I'm sorry, put together the requirements of what I wanted and I analyzed the whole system of what I wanted to create. And then I implemented it using the automation tools and connecting different apps together and stuff. So if you're asking, if you're asking how long did it take me, how long would it take? Like, 
Because if you're asking how long would it take me, again, everything is dependent on the uh, background, technical background, business understanding, the business and the technical linking together, understanding all the tools. I've spent over a hundred, like a couple hundred hours with one of the automation tools. So something that like all, all these things come together to reduce the time it takes, right? Uh, it, it, it could, if I didn't do that before, could take a hundred hours to put to put together. If you do, if you do it before, could take two hours to put it together, right? So mm-hmm. everything is dependent on uh, relative experience with how to put it together and the tools needed to put it together. Does that you. make sense? So, how much school did it take for you to get to the point you're at now? Is there always continuous learning within your? Uh, I'm gonna say trade. Yeah, well, you're asking how long did it take to get to where I'm at now, or like how much schooling has it taken? Defined schooling. Well, going and sitting in a classroom or listening to lectures. My, 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 my opinion of school has changed a bit over the years. So I, I did engineering. Spent four or five years doing engineering because it was four years plus a minor plus um, plus uh, plus an internship. So it took it was five years total. And for the things that are practical and applicable for me now, I think that if I had gotten a job in a startup or started a startup or worked in a job for six months. I would have learned as much, if not more, practically speaking. So my my opinion of school in a formal sense, especially in the world where we're in now, is I think in many ways it's potentially useless or, or less worthwhile than hands-on real-life experience. Like you go in a startup company for six months, you'll learn more than four, year, four years in school, guaranteed. And you won't have to pay for four years of schooling in the process. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of companies would like to have, you know, these young guys coming out and saying, hey, I would rather work than go to school. I actually, I've never hired a developer based on their educational qualifications, not once. That's awesome. That's good. I test them to see what they can do. I care, are they programming for fun in their spare time? Because if they're doing that, that means that they like it, which means that they're probably better at it and going to be better at it and going to be more of a natural at it. Anything that anytime somebody's doing something for fun on their spare time because they like it, it's a good indication that they're going to be better than the person who spent, went to school studying for the thing. Um, and yeah, I've, I've never, when I'm hiring a developer, actually when hiring anyone, I've never cared what their education was. I just care what they can do. No, that's awesome. What has been the most enlightening moment of your journey? It's not one moment as much as each failure. You know, another problem with school is we're taught to that failure is a bad thing. You don't want to fail a course. You don't want to fail this. You don't want to fail that. But failing is how you learn things. Like each time you fail, you, you learn 
what not to do so you can hopefully not repeat it the next time and stay on a better path right and like in the startup world you there's a ter- there's a saying is fail fast right you try to go out and you try to fail as quickly as you can so you can see what's not gonna what if it if something is not gonna work so every single time i've failed whether it's technical failures and screwing things up on the technical side and learning how to do it what not to do and how to do it better the next time or on the business side like um not signing a contract because i trusted the other person a lot for two years and then getting screwed out of a company that's another failure that i learned from so it's all the all the failures along the way have been were there's no there's no specific one as much as an accumulation of them and every time i failed i learned a lot that's a damn good answer that is a damn good answer. <laughs> I like that. And I, I do live my life a little bit like that. If you don't fail, you're not learning. You know, we're human. We're not we're not software. Yeah, the 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 key the key like yeah, people need to get out of the idea that failing is bad cuz like I I don't I could fail 10 times. If I get one successful startup company, I can retire. If I wanted to, you only need one success to get to that success. You typically are going to fail numerous times before that happens, but you do that. And as long as you don't give up and you learn from the failures, instead of making them over and over and over and over again, then every time you do that, it increases your probability of the next one being successful. And then each time you fail, your pro- the probability of the next one being successful increases and then increases and then increases. Then it's just a matter of a time game, right? And always remembering those fails yep. for the future. Because yeah, you remember your failures. Other people don't. That's true. As soon, as soon as you have a success, nobody knows or cares about your failures anymore. Yeah, you're right. The scars run deep within yourself. That's yep. what it is. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So where can everybody find you? Uh, so they can, for me, they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, it's uh, Jeff Zygman. It says uh, the business engineer on uh, the, on LinkedIn. Um, they can, if they for skill builder, they can, it's skillbuilder.academy. Um, those are the two main, uh, the two main ways. Well, heck yeah. If y'all are listening out there, just uh, make sure to check him out. He's got some good stuff. I was uh, going through your LinkedIn last night, actually. I also have a YouTube channel and Instagram, but I like I post some stuff, but not uh, not too much. Just like when there's a video that I post on LinkedIn, a short video, I'll sometimes post there, but I can't even remember what my channel is because it's I, I, like I don't do too much on them. That's why I just mentioned like LinkedIn, I'm active. Like I post almost every day on LinkedIn uh, things related to either productivity, time, automation, product, uh, software, product, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, I didn't know how many people were actually on LinkedIn until I actually signed up for it like last week. It's massive. It is. Yeah, I, was it just takes, through, I was like, wow, there's yeah, a lot of people on here. Yeah, it takes a long time to um, get business, to generate business from there. You have to post like every single day for months uh, on something that resonates with people for to, to start building up. I know about automating uh, your social media. 
<laughs> it does take a little bit of uh, work during one day a week at least. Yeah, yeah. And listen, it, it takes that for almost anything you're going to automate, as well, at least when you're learning it at the beginning, how to do it. Oh, yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, taking the time and talking with us, and you're always welcome back. It was great talking with you. Awesome. I appreciate it, Jono. It was a nice chat. All right, man. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just type in the Blue Collar Enlightenment Show and at the BCE Show on Twitter. Give us a follow and remember to give us a rate review. Helps the podcast be found. Thanks for listening, y'all. Later. Later.